So we're in lesson 15. We're going to look at the majesty and sovereignty of God. So we're going to focus on chapter 40 and 41. Now, we may read some of these passages as we go along. More than likely, we will not, simply because of the amount of material we have to go through. Uh, this is a very important part of Scripture. So let me just kind of help you to understand where we're at right now. So when we were looking at the first part, up to, I think, chapter 35, that was the prophecy concerning the Assyrian crisis. And that was the prophecy given to them concerning what was coming. When we get to chapters 36 to 39, that's really talking about Hezekiah in the midst of the Assyrian crisis and afterwards. And you see that when we end in 39, he's really not in a good way. He's, he's made a very bad decision out of his pride to expose all that uh, Jerusalem has to the Babylonians. Now when we come to chapter 40, we're going to look towards the future. Now it would be the future to those who were there in the time of Isaiah because the Babylonians aren't an issue. So he's going to talk about the Babylonian crisis that's coming. But in the midst of it, he's also going to be interspersing discussions concerning God and the Messiah, the suffering servant, all of that to bring to have hope for them to look forward to in the midst of the judgment that's coming. Now, this is a very important chapter, chapter 40, because, okay, how many remember, I think everybody's here old enough, do you remember the movie Chariots of Fire? you know, where the, the people are running down the beach to the music, you know, and uh, Eric Liddell was one of the people that they were playing. He was a missionary to China. In fact, he died in a, a POW camp in China in World War II. One of the scenes is, is Eric Liddell, he was a very devout believer, speaking at a Presbyterian church in Scotland, and he is quoting a passage from Isaiah 40, talking about the sovereignty of God over the nations. And, and so this passage really is a powerful chapter concerning the sovereignty of God. One of the more popular verses that come out of this, maybe you've heard this before, but that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be faint. You ever heard that verse before? It, back when I first became a believer, that was very popular for people to quote that verse. They put it on little signs in their, in their homes and so forth about waiting on the Lord and renewing their strength. And so this comes from this passage as well. But we're also going to look at chapter 41. So let's kind of get into it. We're going to talk about the majesty and sovereignty of God here. So the first thing I want you to notice is when we look at chapter 40, verses 1 to 11, we're going to talk about the coming deliverance. So the prophet is to speak words of comfort to Jerusalem. So this very first section, he's going to start off with speaking words of comfort. Words of comfort. The prophet is to acknowledge that they have received the penalty for their sin. Okay, so what is he doing here? Well, he's to acknowledge to them that, hey, the stuff that's going on is a direct result of their sin. Period. 
Now, do you think that has relevance to you and I today? Okay, Bruce says yes. Why, Bruce? Okay, so if we continue on our sin and don't deal with it, confess it, turn from it, God will chastise us or take us to the woodshed would be another way, you know. Uh, okay, does everybody hear what Bruce is? Does anybody have the same thought or maybe you got a different way of saying it or... You know, the reality is, is when you look, okay, if you take it from their perspective, Bruce is right. When you take it from their perspective, they're in the midst of the Assyrian crisis. They're being surrounded by the Assyrians. Of course, food's not getting in. Times are tough. Maybe they were in the outlying cities of Jerusalem and they've been conquered by the Assyrians now and brutalized. God is saying through the prophet, look, you're facing the consequences. You're facing the consequences of your sin. Now, he wants to speak comfort to them, but he's also telling them, look, you're facing the consequences. All right, so let, let's stop for a moment, folks. Let's, let's kind of remind ourselves of something, okay? So the world is turned upside down now, it's so it seems. E economy, health issues. I mean, I just was reading this morning about another something or another exotic disease that they're really baffled by, monkeypox. And so they're confounded by that. And, and I've seen the pictures. It's kind of like smallpox years ago. I mean, you literally have pox showing up all over your body. Do you, you know what I'm saying? So they'll figure that out. But okay, that's happening. You got war. You've got, okay, so there's a war overseas in Ukraine. What's that got to do with me? Uh, it's going to affect the grain harvest this year. They produce 40% of the grain in the world. Not just that, Africa and other nations that produce grain as well are facing drought situations. They're saying there might be a flour shortage. Wow, we don't, we don't pay attention to that, you know what I'm saying? It affects gas prices, and all of this stuff is happening, and then health issues, then you've got your personal stuff that's going on. I mean, that's just world stuff. That's just economy. Then you've got your stuff that you are dealing with, and, and, and let's be honest, all of it is a direct result of sin, right? Because of sin entering into the world. Some of what you're dealing with is a direct result of your sin. And so the word here that the prophet is to tell them, he's to acknowledge that they have received the penalty for their sin. That's where we're at in the world. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's all the consequence. Now, everybody understands consequences, right? Now, is there forgiveness? But does the forgiveness remove consequences? No, and sometimes we need to realize that, right? We, we, we may know that mentally, but we need to know it in our hearts. Yeah, there's forgiveness, but God doesn't remove the consequences necessarily. Doesn't remove the consequences. Now, when we get to chapter 40, verses 3 and 5, it's now a passage you're going to be familiar with because John the Baptist said it. He's quoting from Isaiah in verses 3 to 5, the voice of one calling. So the prophet now says, a voice calls out for the people of God to prepare the way of the Lord. John chapter 
chapter 1, verses 19 to 23 is a good passage that would reflect that. So the prophet states that the road will be smoothed in preparation for the Lord. And then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all will see it. So this is the prophecy. This is the prophecy. Now, here's the fulfillment. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did, and did not deny, but, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Okay, well, who are you? And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he said, I am not. No. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say for yourself? Okay, so here it is, Isaiah, chapter 40. He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said from chapter 40. That's the fulfillment, okay? That's the fulfillment. So now what we see happening here is he moves then to talk about the frailty of humanity. Now, we don't like to acknowledge that, but the reality is, is that you and I are pretty frail, in fact, the scripture gives warning over and over. If you think you're strong, be careful. You're going to fall. You know what I'm saying? You and I are frail. Given the right circumstances, the right situation, don't think you're going to stand. You're going to fall to what everybody else falls to. Bottom line, you're weak. I'm weak. I don't care how strong you think you are, you're weak. And God knows that. And so the prophet now is going to start talking about the frailty of humanity. So here's, here's what he says. Men are like the flowers in the field in that their existence is only temporary. Okay? They're like the flowers in the field in that their existence is only temporary. So right now in Lori's gardens, you know, she's got gardens and she's got flowers coming up. Uh, I really don't pay attention to her gardens because I don't really like gardening. But I have to admit, I kind of like the little blue flowers that are showing up in a lot of her flower beds right now. This time of year, she's, I don't know what they are. She can tell me what they are. She can tell you what they are. I don't really care. I just like that they look nice. So there's these little blue flowers everywhere. Now, here's what I know. In a little bit, they're going to be gone. Do you know what I'm saying? That time for them will disappear. And what will be left? I don't know, just green, I guess. You know what I'm saying? I don't really care. Just the blue has disappeared. Do you know what I'm saying? And this is what the prophet is saying, the word the Lord is saying through the prophet. Look, men are like those flowers. They're here one day, and then the next day they're what? Gone. So, okay, like I like daffodils and tulips when they come up. It's too bad they can't hang around forever, right? Because what happens? Those we got these red tulips in the backyard, again in her gardens, they come up and they look wonderful, and then after a while they start getting brown and the leaves start falling off. And then there's just these green twigs sticking sticking out of the ground. And then eventually they get brown too, and Lori has to pull them out. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what's going on here? They're frail. 
They're only for the moment. And, and that's like what we are. You know what I'm saying? We'd like to think we'll live forever. But we don't, do we? Do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? We don't. So while men are temporary, here's what he says, God's word stands forever. The reality and the truth of God's word stands forever. Men are temporary. They come and they go. But God's word stands forever. So the messenger is to proclaim that God is coming to Jerusalem. All right, now do you see what he's doing here? <clears throat> he's bringing words of comfort to Jerusalem because, and, and even still, Jerusalem is facing problems, right? Is that not what we pray for, is the peace of Jerusalem? The peace of Jerusalem is only going to come when Jesus comes back. Do you understand? So the prophet is is proclaiming words of comfort, talking about the sovereignty of God, talks about the, the there's one who's going to come, prepare for the Messiah to come. We saw that prophecy already. He's going to talk about the frailty of humans, but he's going to say there's one thing that stands for sure, that's his word. Why? Because the very next thing he says is, God is coming to Jerusalem. Now, has that happened yet? No. Peter kind of refers to it in his epistles. You know, where is the Lord? Do you know what I'm saying? Why hasn't he shown up yet? And, and the reality is, is here we are 2,000 years later. Are we sure about what he's saying? Here's Isaiah. The word of the Lord stands forever. Men are frail. And guess what? God is coming to Jerusalem. It's coming. You can bank on it. Not because of man. Men are frail, right? But because of what? God's word. And he stands true to his word. And this is what he's saying here. So now, the Lord God will come to rule and care for his flock. God's going to be the one to rule and to care for them. All right, so that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because I think we've all, you know, I'm, I'm 56, okay? So the earliest president that I can remember was Lyndon Johnson, okay? And, and just vaguely remember that because I would have been five or six or something. All I knew was is Lyndon Johnson was president and then we had a day off from school when he died, okay, later on, okay, on a military base school, you know what I'm saying? The president, former president died, got a day off, okay? And then I remember Richard Nixon and, of course, everybody else afterwards, okay? Now, none of them were perfect, were they? Well, my God, no, no, none of them are perfect. I don't care what party they are. They're not perfect. In fact, you found out how human they were, right? Here's an interesting thing. This is a weird thing, kind of interesting thing. I always take note of what they look like when they first become president and then what they look like after four or eight years. Have you noticed they change? 
One of the things they change is, is they go from having a great, wonderful head of hair, whatever color it was, and when they get out, they're totally white-headed. Have you noticed that? They just go gray. Why? It's got to be the stress of the job. Do you know what I'm saying? It's got to be something there. They, it's a big job, and they're human, and they make what? Mistakes. But there's coming a ruler to Jerusalem. And he's not given a campaign promise. He will take care of his flock. Do you know what I'm saying? And he will rule. God. That, that's, that's what's so awesome here, isn't it? That's what's so awesome. Now, let's go on. The prophet conveys... That God is the one who created this world. Okay, so the Lord is the one who created the world. So if, when we talk about God, we're not just talking about some idol somewhere or, or some myth or something. We're talking about the one who created the world. The prophet asks, who can say that they have instructed or counseled God? Who can say that? You ever hear... You ever have a testimony time in church and somebody says, you know, we got through that problem and I told God exactly what he needed to do to get us through it. You ever heard anybody say something like that? No. In fact, I found it's the exact opposite. He does exactly the opposite of what I tell him to do. And we do tell him what to do, right? God chooses just to ignore that, right? And we always have to admit, yeah, your way was better, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Your way was better. And, and so the prophet is saying, who has instructed the Lord? Who has counseled him? No one, okay? Now let's go on. Compared to God, the nations are considered nothing and worthless. In fact, this is the passage when you talk about that movie, Chariots of Fire. This section of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 to 31, this is the section that Eric Liddell, the character of Eric Liddell, is sharing in this church. The nations are considered nothing and worthless. Put that in perspective. It's one thing to be patriotic, but it's also, as a believer, to be you have to be realistic. We're nothing. You know what I'm saying? Compared to God, we're all worthless. The prophet states that nothing can compare to God. Nothing. Nothing can compare to him. The Lord God watches over his creation and its inhabitants are like insects. So he watches over creation and they're like insects to him. Wow. Wow. God, nothing can compare to him. He's awesome. Let's move on. The Lord God establishes rulers and deposes them at his will. All right. In your notes, I want you to write down a couple of cross-references. Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. Daniel 4 is concerning the dream 
of the tree that Nebuchadnezzar had and the explanation that Daniel gave to him. And the point is, is that God is sovereign. He sets up kings. He takes them down. Daniel chapter 5 is the passage concerning the writing on the wall. And, of course, Daniel shows up and reminds Belshazzar, listen, don't you remember your, your grandfather went through this and God is sovereign. He's the one who sets up kings and takes them down. Here we see in Isaiah the same point being made. God is the one who establishes rulers and deposes them at their will. Now, what am I going to say to you? Folks, as believers, when we have elections, we just had one this last week. If your guy doesn't make it, chill out. Maybe we don't talk like that anymore. Cool down. Why? He is the one who establishes rulers and he takes them down. Well, it was stolen. I understand. But in that moment, God didn't get off the throne. And maybe the rest of the world doesn't believe that, but you as a believer should. Did you understand what I'm saying? So rest in the one who's sovereign. That, that's the point here. What, are you taking a side? No, I don't, no side at all. I'm just going, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to tell you God's saying, I set them up, I take them down. Bottom line, rest in that. And if you got a problem, take it up with God. Seriously. Because he didn't get off the throne. So I think for, for, for believers, we need to calm down a little bit, okay? And rest in the one who is in control, the God of the universe. Now let's go on. He's incomparable. In what way? Here's the other thing. God asked the readers to compare him to anything if they can. So, okay, he's asking the readers, hey, you guys, can you compare him to anything? No. There is nothing like him, is there? Now, but here's our tendency, though. We tend to, whether we realize it or not, try to bring God down to our level all the time, don't we? Try to make him think like we think or act like we act. But the reality is, is he's totally beyond that. The point of the passage is God is incomparable. He is sovereign. He is majestic. He is awesome. Okay? That's who he is. All right? Now, verses 27 to 31, he's going to reiterate that he watches over his people. Prophet questions why Israel believes that God has forgotten them. All right, so stop for a moment. Do you ever get to a place where you're in the midst of something and you feel like, where are you, God? Have you forgotten me? Have you felt that way? You should say yes, because that's natural, right? Here's what I'm going to say to you. Go back to Isaiah 40, focus on verses uh 27 through 31, and the questions he's asking here of Israel, he can ask of you. So 
Why do you believe God has forgotten you? Why do you believe God has forgotten you? Okay? Why do you believe? Here's the second thing. God, who is eternal, never grows weary and gives strength to the weak. He's not asleep during your crisis. He's not asleep during their crisis. He never grows weary. He doesn't get tired. And he gives strength to the weak. But I guess you have to acknowledge that you're what? Weak, right? Those who hope in the Lord will regain their strength and soar as eagles. There's that passage, remember? Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will regain their strength and soar as eagles. So now that brings us to Isaiah 41. And so this we're going to spend the last part of our time. Isaiah 41, verses 1 to 29. We're going to talk about the Lord of history. First of all, the confrontation of the nations, verses 1 to 7. The Lord confronts the nations to come near to him for judgment. Okay, folks, I need to point this out. Which nations are going to be judged? Anybody? Which nations are going to be judged? So you got all the nations of the world. Now forget Israel because this is a this is a prophecy to Israel, his people. When he talks about he's calling the nations to come forward for judgment, which nations is that? All right, Bruce says all. How many of you agree with all? Okay, we need to remember that. All. Is there any exceptions? No. So all the nations are going to, except for Israel, are going to come to him for judgment. All right? Going to come to him for judgment. So let's go on. The one from the east. So when you look at this passage, now this is why some people think that this, this document is later than its actual date because there's no way that God can predict who's coming. You ever hear that? There are some scholars out there that believe there's, this can't be prophecy. This had to be written after a fact. So what happens in the beginning of chapter 41, he talks about one from the east. So the one from the east refers to Cyrus, king of the Medo-Persian Empire also known as Cyrus the Great. So if you notice in your notes, I've given you a little note there about who Cyrus the Great is. Now, the Lord states that he is the one who's called forth this king and gave the nations to him. So Isaiah is saying, now this is important, because who did Cyrus the Great defeat? Who did he beat? Which kingdom did he defeat? The Babylonian, okay? So this is all part of the message of hope. He's trying to convey to them, don't worry about the Babylonians. I'm trying to say to you, I'm the one. The nations are going to be judged. I'm going to raise up this one from the east, and I'm going to give the nations to him. What does that mean? All the nations are going to fall to this empire, all right? Now, the Lord affirms that he is the one who brings the events of history to pass. That is, God is the one. God is the one who brings the events of history to pass. All right, so is there anything happening by chance here? 
Okay, so let's, let's kind of make sure we all understand. What is the biggest event in the future that's yet to come? Anybody know what that is? The second coming of Jesus, right? Okay. Now, is God moving all of everything towards that? Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So let's remember something now. You as believers have hope. Why? Okay, so right now, it's really easy to look at everything that's going on. Gas prices, diesel prices, beyond. I mean, who in the world thought we would pay, be paying $4.70 for, for gas at this point? And you keep hearing it might go even higher. And, and you're looking at, man, a dozen eggs. Whoever thought that we would be paying what we're paying for that or for a loaf of bread? And I went to the store to get cottage cheese. What do you mean that section is empty? You know what I'm saying? And we got that stuff going on. And, and whoever heard of monkey pox? Did, you know what I'm saying? And then you got this war going on and over here doing this, that, or another. And you could, it's really easy to focus in on all of that and get depressed, right? Let alone what's going on in your life. You got to take a step back. All of that and everything else that's going to happen is moving everything to what? To one event. To the great climax, to the great crescendo of life. Jesus Christ coming back. All of the stuff that happens politically in this nation or in some little nation over somewhere else that you've never even thought about. All of it is moving, is all part of the grand scheme of things that's moving to the reality of one thing happening, Jesus Christ coming back. This is what the prophet is making us known here. He's making known that the Lord affirms that he is the one that brings the events of history to pass. So here's what he says. The Lord chose Israel to be his servant and to do his will. So again, I'm just going to reiterate to you, when you read the Bible, it's a story about God, his Messiah, and his people. Who are his people? Israel. And you say, what about us, George? Believers, Christians, what about us? Well, Paul says, we were grafted in, we're the wild olive branches who were grafted into the root. We now share in the promises of Israel. Okay? We were the ones who were included in that. Isn't that awesome? So, the Lord will not protect nations who oppose Israel. How many of you heard that before? You should have, right? At any church in North America, you probably heard somebody say, a Bible-believing church, those who oppose Israel, what? You know, that's not God's not going to protect those nations, all right? Anybody who's opposed to the Jewish people. Now, the Lord will help Israel to defeat her enemies and they will rejoice in his help. And the ultimate defeat, when will that take place of those enemies? When Jesus Christ comes back. When they recognize that he is their what? Messiah. Because right now, does Israel recognize that Jesus is the Messiah? No, no. All right, the Lord will provide water to the thirsty 
and they will know that the Lord did this. So again, this is something relevant to where they're at. They're in a desert climate. Yes, they have streams, but very few. Most of them have cisterns of water gathering rainwater when they can. So water is a precious commodity. And what they're saying is when God comes, he's going to what? Provide water to the thirsty. That would be an awesome thing, right? An awesome thing. So the Lord challenges the nations to declare what will take place in the future. What will take place in the future? Hey, does anybody know that? All right, forget what you know about the Bible. Does anybody, when, you, when you're listening, when they say, oh, this is going to take place and this is going to happen in America and this is what's going to happen in the world. Have you heard that? I've heard that for 40 years. Back in, okay, I'll remind you, back in the late 80s and the 90s, we were hearing about the total economic collapse that was going to come and everybody was going to become slaves again. Well, here we are in 2022, that hasn't happened yet. Although we are talking about that happening again, okay? But the, the reality is, look, here's what I'm saying. The Lord says, who can say what the future is? Can they? We know they can't. They can't even get the weather right. Last night, looking at the weather, we're going to have rain all day today. Do you see that rain coming through the glass there, radiating through the glass? It's sunny outside. Well, we might get rain later, but the point is, is the weatherman always right? No. We, we already know his predictions are going to be wrong, right? They might be right somewhere, but not here, okay? And this is the point he's making here. The Lord challenges the nations to declare what will take place in the future, because they cannot do this, they are worthless and detestable. God says, because you can't tell the future, you're worthless and detestable. That's what he says to the nations. So the Lord answers his own challenge by stating that he will raise up one from the north who is Cyrus. So now he mentions the guy's name. And this is what threw liberal scholars into a tizzy. This can't be from before the Babylonian crisis, because how could God know what the guy's name is? Well, it proves his point, right? I think this proves his point. He's saying, there's a guy who's going to show up and do exactly what I want him to do, and his name is Cyrus. That's the point God's making in this passage, right? Nobody else can predict the future, but I can, and I'm going to raise up somebody who will defeat the Babylonians, and his name is Cyrus. Cyrus. Wow. The true God can predict the future, but the nations cannot. The false gods of these nations are nothing. They're nothing. Hey, even our nation has false gods. Just being honest with you, even we, we, we don't have idols standing in our town square, Jordan. No, but we have our own false gods. What are those? Those are substitute for the real God. 
And they can be anything, our knowledge, our wisdom, whatever. And God points out that they are nothing. Next week, we're going to get right into the whole issue of the servant, which is reflecting on the Messiah, the perfect servant. And we're going to talk about the unworthy servant as well in Lesson 16. So 